This is recording number 10934 from the teaching ministry of Crossroads Community Church in Fairfield, California. It was recorded on Sunday morning, July 17, 2011. This is the 16th message in the series titled, Doctor's Gospel, by Randy Bolt. This message is titled, Finger of God. Chapter 11, Luke 11. And we're going to continue our study called The Doctor's Gospel. Luke, the writer under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of this book, was a medical doctor, a physician. And we are taking the uh, viewpoint or the approach that on these pages of Luke's Gospel are the account um, of the heart of our Savior. How many of you have ever had uh, someone invade your space, your personal space? You know, they just get a little too close. Now, ladies, let me tell you that you, you probably don't know this, but... Uh, because I know you don't mean it, but every man in here thinks you invade their space. <laughs> I mean, you, you know, I, I know it. eye contact is really important to you, and that's great, except we always feel like you're staring at us. Um, but we all kind of know what it feels like when somebody kind of just kind of crowds you, and, you know, you're, you're maybe at a social function, and you're chatting with somebody, and they just keep moving closer and closer, and first you kind of do the sideways thing, you know, and so they kind of get the hint, and then they come around, and then you kind of, you know, kind of, or you move away, or, you know. Now, this is a totally tasteless, should never be told in church story, um, but I don't know. I am totally tasteless, so, uh, and it may, in the end, it may not even have any bearing, but uh, there, uh, once I had one of these kinds of experiences where someone was just a little too close. And uh, it happened, a guy named uh, Matthew Ward, who was part of a kind of a groundbreaking uh, Christian music group called the Second Chapter of Acts about a thousand years ago. This was before there was such a thing as Christian contemporary or Christian rock music. Uh, it, and, but they were one of the pioneers of that. And, very, and I, he was an, you know, I was in awe of his talent. His vocal talent is just amazing. And uh, so I, um, I had, and then I had this amazing opportunity to actually work with him. He and I were first tenors in a recording project. Can you imagine, <clears throat> first of all, I'm, you know, I'm a sort of musician. So... I'm called to the rehearsal hall for this recording project, and there's, I can't believe, I, my, I'm speechless. I walk into this room, and all my idols are there. Everybody that I think is like, you know, God, excuse me, <laughs> is there. <clears throat> and uh, I'm, my first thought is, what am I doing here? 
Who made the mistake to invite me? And then the, the uh, guy who wrote the musical that we were going to be recording says, okay, uh, file through and pick up all your music. And I come back with this truckload of music like this, and he says, all right, here we go. What? I've never heard him. I'm supposed to, I'm supposed to read it. And he puts me, stands me next to Matthew Ward. Oh, my gosh. It was, it was so totally intimidating. But then that's not the story. That's just the background. Here's the story. We, I went to, this was after that. And I figure I have done every, you know, I've made such a bad impression on this guy that he would never, ever remember me. And if he did, he would choose to forget me. But anyway, I went to see the second chapter of Acts perform one time. And I, uh, at the intermission, I went to the bathroom. Here's the tasteless part. So I went into the bathroom, and um, I'm at the uh, stall, the urinal. (laughs) Can I say? And in walks Matthew Ward. Now, my first thought is, don't these gods of musicians have some, don't, I mean, they actually go to the bathroom? What is that? And they're, oh, well, anyway, and what's he doing here, by the way? And then he comes over and stands next to me. Now, one other thing you ladies might not know is that uh, we men have an unspoken rule that you don't speak in the bathroom. (laughs) It's against the law. And so he comes to the stall next to me, leans over and says, Hello, Randy. (laughs) Now, that was just a little too close for comfort. (laughs) So we fall. We can kind of relate whether you can relate to that story or not. We can kind of relate when people invade your space. They kind of get a little too close, kind of push their way into, you know, make you just a little bit uncomfortable. Well, I want to talk to you today out of this passage in Luke chapter 11. It begins at verse 14 about when God gets a little too close. And we're going to be looking at a phrase in a little bit that comes out of this passage called the finger. or The, the phrase is the finger of God. Verse 14. And he, that's Jesus, was casting out a demon And it was mute. Now, what this means is that we we don't know the circumstances. All we're, what happens is we're dropped into the middle of something. It says that Jesus was casting out a demon. So apparently, uh, someone was unable to speak. That's what it means when it says it was mute. There's, There's a spirit, a demonic spirit was causing this person to be unable to speak. And Jesus was casting out this demonic spirit. And the first thing that that I want you to notice is really doesn't have much to do with what we're talking about today. But I want you to know there's more, I want you to see there's often, in fact, most often, there's more going on than the surface, more going on than we generally understand or know. I mean, if I, found, if I came across someone who was unable to speak, and that's, sometimes it has to do with some sort of physical problem with the, the parts of their body that are required to make sound. Sometimes it has to do with the fact that they're deaf, and so they, they uh, uh, don't 
can't uh, understand how to articulate or make sounds because they can't hear sounds. But it's usually, you would assume, this is usually the result of some sort of biological, physical, physiological, some sort of medical condition, perhaps. But it says that when Jesus was helping a man be able to speak here, he deals with it as a spiritual condition and, and uh, casts a demon out of him. Now, I'm not saying that every, spiritual, I mean, every physical condition has some sort of demon associated with it. But I'm just saying there's often more going on than we know. So it was when the demon had gone out that the mute spoke. I want you to put yourself into that scene. You're an eyewitness to this. This is a guy you know because he's in your neighborhood. And you know he can't speak. And now, because of this guy, Jesus, he's able to all of a sudden articulate. He's able to speak paragraphs, sentences. He's able to communicate with you for the first time. I mean, it would be an amazing thing, would it not? Wouldn't you be just blown away? And these people, I'm sure, were. And in fact, here are their responses, and there's three of them. And he was casting out a demon, and it was mute. So it was when the demon had gone out that the mute spoke. And it says, And the multitudes marveled. But some of them said, He casts out demons by Beelzebub, the ruler of demons, of the demons. And then the third response is, Others testing him sought from him a sign from heaven. So there's three responses here to this mighty miracle, this incredible thing that has just happened. The first is the multitudes marveled, marveled. Have you ever had God kind of press in on your life in some way? Maybe you are the eyewitness of something or the beneficiary of something just miraculous, something just marvelous, something just unexpected, and you just, all you're doing is just enjoying the show. It's just, wow, God. Wow, God. Anybody ever had that experience? You just find yourself, wow, God. That's one response to when God presses in, when God reaches into the natural order of things and changes them. God's miraculous intervention. Wow, God. The second form of response that we see here is one that's a little different. It says, but some of them said, uh, he casts out demons by Beelzebub. Beelzebub was, is a, another word for the devil or for Satan. And he, oh, he can do that because he's in league with the devil. A second way to respond when God sweeps in, when God moves in, when God presses in on our lives in miraculous, intense, challenging ways is to sort of excuse ourselves from dealing with it. You know, I, 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 most of you know the story, but over two years ago, my wife... Uh, Came as close to death as I ever want for that to happen. And uh, was diagnosed and actually had uh, emergency surgery for a football-sized um, 
cancerous tumor that um, from and a t- form of cancer that hardly you know the recovery rate is in the is uh, under ten percent and uh, people who are diagnosed with this cancer um, die in less than a year. Very rare, very aggressive cancer. She's here, cancer-free, two years later. Now here, that's a wonderful thing. That's, wow, God, that's one response. But you know what? I was also faced with the challenge of more than that. If I really believe in a God who can do that, what is that? How does that affect my life? How do I respond to this God? What does that mean in terms of how I would relate to him? What I would begin to believe him for? But a lot of times when we're confronted with the power of God, people begin to sort of excuse themselves. Oh, well, you know, that's for them. Or maybe, uh, maybe it was just a coincidence. Or, uh, and, and listen, people do do this. They do say, oh, well, that was the devil. They see something. I, and I got, in fact, I've got to tell you, I'm going to digress for a second. I saw, I began to, to watch a, a film this week. I've only gotten through part of it. And it really bothers me a lot. And I'm not sure yet whether it's a godly bother or if it's just me. I don't know yet. But it starts off talking about a whole bunch of people that claim to have had uh, God put gold teeth in their mouth. God performed dentistry on, on people and, I mean, the, the movie is a guy, a, docu- a guy is creating this documentary. He's on the scene with this is, when this is happening. And people will, they're in a crowd and they'll raise their hand and he, they'll rush over and they'll shine a flashlight down their throat. And he's there with his camera. And sure enough, there's a gold tooth there. Now, it bugs me. I don't, I don't know what to do with that. Why would God do that? Gold teeth? What is that? I mean... I don't understand that. Really, it bothers me. And then there's this whole thing. It moves on from there to these people who claim that when they get together and worship God, that God begins to sprinkle gold dust on them. And so, again, this doc guy who's doing this documentary, he's there with his camera because he can't believe this either. He grew up American Baptist just like me. So he's there with his camera, and sure enough, these people, they have their Bibles open, and there's sparkly stuff on the, on the Bibles. And there's, you watch this guy, he's the, he's the preacher, he's up front, and over the course of a few, probably maybe 30 seconds that the camera's on him, you see this gold stuff start to flex of shiny junk kind of appear on his person. I mean, it bothers me. It bugs me. I don't, is this God or is this, I don't know what this is. But I know that there's a part of me that wants to say, oh, that's, that's the devil. Well, I mean, you, you get what I'm saying? When God presses in on you in an uncomfortable way, you have some choices to make. And they're not always comfortable. It's like God pressing into your personal space and 
you got to figure out what you're going to do about that. And these people, it says, uh, they excused themselves by blaming it on the devil. When I was a kid growing up in my American Baptist church and, and told that the day of miracles was over because we have the Bible now. I was told that if you ever encounter somebody who claims to have experienced a miraculous healing or a miracle of any sort, if you run across some of those people who claim to speak in tongues, that was a big one for us, get as far away from them as you can because they're from the devil. Now, I don't know what this is gonna, how this is going to come across to you now, but I'm one of those people now. <laughs> Because God pressed in on me and made me uncomfortable with where I was. And I had to come to terms, not with, you know, goofy signs like, like gold dust and gold teeth, but I mean with the Bible, with the Word of God. There's weird stuff in here <laughs> that challenges you. And you have to decide, well, I don't know about that. You know, you have to do something with it. And these people, they were, they were excusing themselves and blaming it on the devil. And then the third group, they said, it says in verse 16, Others testing him sought from him a sign from heaven. I, I read that and I go, what? A mute has just spoken. And your response is, show us a sign. Huh? What more, can God, what more can God do? But listen, I, I, I know what that's like. I know what it's like to come before God and prove yourself to me, God. If you're really there, show yourself to me. As though he hasn't over and over and over and over again. Verse 17, but he, knowing their thoughts, said to them, every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation. If a nation is at war with itself, if there's civil war, nothing good comes from that. And a house divided against a house falls. If Satan also is divided against himself, how will his kingdom stand? Because you say, I cast out demons by Beelzebub. If I'm casting out demons by Satan, it doesn't make any sense. It's like a nation at war with itself. And if I cast out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your sons cast them out? Because these people, these scribes and Pharisees and the other Jewish people there, they had within their own ranks exorcists, people who claimed to be able to cast out demons. And Jesus just said, look, if I'm casting out demons by Satan, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore, they will be your judges. Listen now. But if I cast out demons with the finger of God, surely the kingdom of God has come upon you. Let's talk about that phrase. It shows up four times in the Bible. And then there's a fifth time that the phrase isn't used, but the action is depicted. Let me, let me talk to you about what I mean. The first time we encounter it is when the children of Israel are in slavery in Egypt. And most of you know the story about how God 
brought ten plagues upon the Egyptians that ultimately um, moved Pharaoh's heart to let the people go. Now, the first two plagues, Pharaoh's sorcerers were able to kind of duplicate. And so, you know, Pharaoh kept saying, well, then that's no big deal. This is no God, you know, that we have to worry about. The third plague, the plague of lice, uh, the sorcerers and Pharaoh's magicians, they come to him and they say, we can't duplicate this. This is the finger of God. That's what they say. That's the phrase they use. This is the finger of God. He is reaching in and doing something that we can't, can't uh, respond to. And the uh, um, net result was their counsel, the implied counsel was, you better take notice. God is moving. God is moving powerfully here. The second time we encounter this phrase is in connection to the Ten Commandments and the tables of stone that God, by, the Bible says, by the finger of God, the Ten Commandments were engraved on those tablets of stone that Moses brought down from Mount Sinai. The, t- the finger of God was involved in giving his word to the people. Then there's another reference to that same thing. So now we've got three of the four. The fourth one is here, where a demon is cast out, and Jesus says it's by the finger of God. Again, God moving powerfully, reaching into the natural world and changing things, a display of his power. So of the three different circumstances and the four references of the finger of God, two, are, two of them are about God's power. One of them is about God's word. Now, the um, last of these things that I want to explain about this is not the, the phrase, the finger of God, does not show up. But we see the net result of, God, of the finger of God. And it has to do with Jesus when he is called into a situation where a woman's been caught with adultery. And that first slide we had up earlier kind of depicts that. You know the story. And these guys, they're saying, they're pressing, and they're saying, you know, Moses says that we should stone her. And Jesus remains silent and with his finger begins to write in the, in the ground, in the sand. And we have no idea what he was writing, except that the, the context is the law. It's the law of God. The law says, Moses says, we should um, stone her. And then Jesus responds in, in um, uh, concert with the law when he says, okay, go ahead, but you who haven't sinned, you be the first one to cast a stone. And so many Bible scholars believe that what Jesus was writing in the, stone, in the uh, earth there, in the dust and the sand, was the Decalogue, the Ten Commandments. And these guys standing there ready to heave stones at this adulterous woman are having to see themselves in light of the law that they are trying to uh, enforce. And ultimately, they all kind of drop their stones and walk away. So it's highly possible, in fact, I would say probable, that this is another time when the finger of God is referencing 
the word, the law of God. So we have, ultimately, we have two demonstrations of the power of God and two uh, incidents where the word of God are described as the finger of God. So Jesus says, but if I cast out demons with the finger of God, surely the kingdom of God has come upon you. You might remember at the, in the second verse of this passage, I mean, the second verse of this chapter, chapter 11, verse 2, where Jesus begins to teach us how to pray, his disciples how to pray. He said, pray this prayer, pray this way, your kingdom come. Ask God, pray this way, your kingdom come. And then here he says, if I cast out demons by the finger of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. The answer to your prayer has arrived in the form of God pressing in. Now, verse 21. Jesus just continues. This is him speaking. There's no break. He just continues. When a strong man fully armed guards his own palace, his goods are in peace. But when a stronger than he comes upon him and overcomes him, he takes from him all his armor in which he trusted and divides his spoils. He who is not with me is against me, and he uh, who does not gather with me scatters. Now those two verses, verse 21 and 22, are often, and I believe rightly so, understood to mean that Jesus was talking about people uh, who are um, under uh, the influence of a demonic spirit, demonized, demon-possessed, however you want to describe it, and that Jesus is describing, it's most often understood that Jesus is describing that demon as a strong man who has captivated or captured a person, and they're fine and dandy. They guard their palace, their goods are in peace. And then it goes on in verse 22 to say, but when someone stronger shows up, and overcomes him, he takes his armor, he takes his, uh, and divides his spoil, he overthrows, overturns the, the state, the bound state of that person. And it's most often, these two verses are most often understood in light of the demonic, uh, or the uh, uh, deliverance that verse 14 talks about where this uh, de- uh, demon-possessed man is set free of the mute spirit. And I've already said that's, that um, interpretation is entirely appropriate. But I want to suggest something else to you today. Another way of looking at these two verses. But if I cast out demons with the finger of God, surely the kingdom of God has come upon you. Who's the subject? You, us. The kingdom of God has come upon you. When a strong man fully armed guards his own palace, his goods are in peace. I'm not sure that Jesus was changing the subject to go back to talking about demons. I think he was through talking about demons before verse 20. And now he switched the subject to his disciples and to those listening. If I cast out demons, if I press into your personal space with my power displays, then you know this. 
you know the kingdom of God has come upon you. And when a strong man, fully armed, guards his own palace, his goods are in peace. I want to suggest to you that I know what it's like to be that strong man. Fully armed, guarding my own palace. And when God begins to press in on me by his power, by his word, when the finger of God begins to press in on me, I know what it's like to stand there because I don't want my goods disturbed. I don't want my life messed with. I don't want to have to think things through. I don't want to have to wonder what in the world is a gold teeth all about. I like things nice and orderly, and I got it under control. And when God begins to press on me, press in on me, I'm like the strong man. But when a stronger than he comes upon him and overcomes him. Remember, he said, he taught us to pray. Pray this, thy kingdom come. And then he says, when the finger of God, if, if I cast out demons by the f- finger of God, then you know the kingdom of God has come upon you. When a stronger than he comes upon you, or him. It's all of a piece, these words and these phrases. And I think God is talking about when he sidles right up to you, when he invades your personal space, when he gets too close for comfort, he takes from him all of his armor. I've had this experience, some of you had too, where all the things that you've been protecting yourself from God begin to fall apart. And you find yourself welcoming this invasion of the kingdom of God, the finger of God, the word of God, the power of God that confronts me and challenges me to believe, to live differently. My guard falls, my armor falls, and those things that I've trusted in don't mean anything anymore. And that's why Jesus concludes this passage by saying, he who's not with me is against me. I haven't got this all figured out. There's, there's stuff about God that I cannot comprehend that make me nervous. <laughs> But I want to be on his side. And this verse tells me there is no neutral place. You can't be somehow indifferent if you're not with me. And, and remember, not too long ago, we read in this same book when Jesus' disciples said, Hey, you know, we, we, we had some guys that were casting out demons and they weren't with us. And we told them to stop it. And Jesus said, What? And he said almost the exact opposite. He basically said, well, if they're not against us, they're for us. Leave them alone. And here he says, if you're not with me, you're against me. Because this is talking about a completely different thing. This is talking about those of us who have folded our arms across our chest, have wrapped ourselves up in armor, that theological armor sometimes, that insulates us. From the powerful presence and working of God. And that, he says, look, you can't stay that way. There's no neutral place here. Either with me or you're not. In fact, 
In Matthew's account of this same passage, I've tried not to, I've tried during this course of this study to just stick with Luke because there's nothing, you know, for the most part, there's nothing more we need here. And this guy, Luke, has been very, very thorough in everything. All of the uh, research that he's done and presenting these things, it's all here. But here, for purposes that, uh, that were different than his uh, in writing this, this gospel, he, he didn't include this part. And Matthew did. And it's pretty important. When he gets after the part where he says, he who's not with me uh, is against me, he says, therefore, because that's true, because you can't be neutral, because you need to pick a side, you need to decide, are you with me or not? Can I press in on you or not? Can I change your life or not? Because that's so. Therefore. And then he talks about the most scariest passage in the Bible. The, peop- the thing that people hate the most when they open the Bible. And that says that every sin, every form of uh, rebellion against God can be forgiven except the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. The blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, and people get real nervous. Well, have I committed the unpardonable sin? Have I committed blasphemy against the Holy Spirit? Because then the Bible says I can't be forgiven. There's no forgiveness for that, and they get real nervous. The blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is when you have rejected the Spirit of God pressing in on your life. When you've rejected it, when you pushed Him away, and again and again and again, you've turned a cold heart, a cold, hard heart to the things of the Spirit. Pretty soon... The only voice, the only voice of conviction is no longer able to reach you. And there's no forgiveness because there's no conviction. We stop asking God for forgiveness. That's what, that all, that's, what that's all about. But I want you to notice, notice that Matthew places that right here. He says, because this is so, here's what's at stake. This is a big thing. This is a big thing. I want to read to you, we're almost done. I want to read to you some dialogue from C.S. Lewis's uh, book, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe from the Chronicles of Narnia. How many of you have ever heard of that before? Then you know that the main character in, the, in that story is a lion named Aslan, who is without apology uh, a depiction by C.S. Lewis of Jesus. And one of the children, there's three kids in the story. I I think it's Lucy. She asks uh, Mr. and Mrs. Beaver, she says, is Aslan quite safe? Remember, Aslan's a lion. Is Aslan quite safe? I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. That you will, dearie, and no mistake, said Mrs. Beaver. If there's anyone who can appear before Aslan without their knees knocking, they're either braver than most or just plain silly. Then he isn't safe, said Lucy. Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Don't you hear what Mrs. Beaver tells you? Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe. But he's good. 
He's the king, I tell you. Some of us have been protecting ourselves or attempting to protect ourselves from the wildness of God, the untamed nature of the king of all kings. But dear one, there's nothing to be afraid of. He is good, personified. And you don't want him to be safe in terms of tame, in terms of you holding his leash. You don't want that kind of God. You want the one who will invade your personal space. That's the one you want. 